0: Hi, it's Peter Raschuti from Out to Lunch. I'm looking forward to inviting people to have lunch with me
1: again soon. Till it's safe to do that, let's revisit this conversation from pre-COVID days. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Joneswalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas.
2: From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style.
0: Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Think about the last time you booked a plane ticket on an online travel website. After you booked the ticket, the website asked if you'd like to book anything else connected to your trip. A rental car, a hotel, a sightseeing tour, restaurant reservations. If you said yes and booked anything else, think about what's going on there technically. The airline reservation software is now interacting with a myriad of other reservation systems and linking them all to your frequent flyer program. The software that powers this complex operation was created by a New Orleanian. Kenneth Purcell created this concept and built it into a software company called iSeats. Today, Kenneth's concept is an integral piece of the global online economy. His business is still here in New Orleans, powers clients like American Express and Visa. Kenneth, it is great to see you again. The last time you were here was back in 2012, so we've got quite a bit to catch up on. Welcome back to Lunch. Thanks for having me. The amazing thing about the online revolution is the revolution never ends. Things you never even knew you needed have become an integral part of your life and everyone else's life, which is how they became giant businesses like Facebook, Uber, Netflix, and Amazon. Another name you can add to that list is a company called Something Borrowed Blooms. Something Borrowed Blooms rents flowers for weddings. Yes, you did hear that correctly. Something Borrowed Blooms is a wedding flower rental company. They provide high-end artificial flowers for weddings. The artificial flowers look and even smell real, and they come at a fraction of the cost of real flowers. If you're thinking the comparison with Amazon and Uber is ridiculous because this has got to be a niche market and maybe a couple of clients, you are going to need to recalibrate. (laughs) Since its inception in 2015, Something Borrowed Blooms has grown to 16 employees and handles 400 weddings a month. That number is rapidly moving toward 1,000 weddings a month, and the company is diversifying and expanding under the leadership of its co-founder cousins, Lauren Bercier and Laken Swan. Laken is also the chief marketing officer of Something Borrowed Blooms. Laken, welcome down to lunch.
3: Thank you so much. Happy to be here.
0: Kenneth, you've been at this a long time now. Since you founded iSeats in 1999, the internet has changed enormously. The demands on your software have changed. The demands on your company have changed. You now have 100 employees and you're processing billions of dollars a year. We frequently hear stories about the founders of companies who can't make the transition from being the scrappy little creative guy with a great idea to the type of person who can deal with corporate clients and the stresses of running a big business. Not only have you navigated that transition successfully, but iSeats continues to be voted one of New Orleans' best places to work year after year. Is the secret to this kind of success hiring a management team who know what they're doing, or is it about keeping a firm hand yourself on the day-to-day running of the company and the company culture?
2: So culture to me is one of the most important things about the business. Um, recently uh, I flattened out the organization so I went through a process where for years I did have sort of managers and uh, very few direct reports. Um, recently I flattened out the top level of the organization so I had my hands on uh, more of the day-to-day delivery operations uh, to actually install the culture that I thought we were uh, striving to become. Um, So I think as an entrepreneur who's transitioned into an operator, uh, the leap was difficult. It's still, the challenges still continue. Um, But the thing that I prize probably most of all are the people that work in my organization. And in order to maintain that um, high quality of person that I work with, cohort, culture has to be top-notch. So that only comes from the top. And when you flattened out, that was sort of going back to
0: how you started, where you really were right with those folks.
2: Yeah, being hands-on for me um, and understanding the information that's getting passed around, the data about how we're operating, um, things like our delivery quality, um, performance, uh, sales, all sorts of things, uh, really helped me appreciate what needed to be tweaked and turned um, to take the business to the next level. We're we're a growing business, and I think at times, growing from one place to another is uh, it, you know you you kind of put a number on the wall and you say, hey, we want our our stated objective is to double the business in the next three to five years. Um, we've done it in the last three to I think probably last four years, and so in order to go from where we are to where we want to be, I just didn't appreciate. The challenge that was going to be there and the thing that I needed to do before we made that leap or started to run at the leap was actually flatten out the organization and take, put my hands further in.
0: Now, Lakin, and you and your partner have literally created a whole new industry. Uh, before you started, something borrowed blooms. Nobody else was renting wedding flowers. Apparently, nobody else said, thought of it. Uh, judging by your meteoric growth, you were right about this new market. There's a huge demand from millennial brides for your product. It seems that these brides are not just cost conscious, they're also opting for the environmentally friendly option of using a recyclable product. Uh, When you started out at the end of 2015, other than your own experience as brides, had you done any market research? In other words, is your success catching you by surprise or were you totally prepared for it?
3: So uh, I think a little bit of both. Uh, um, we had both taken note of just the adoption of the share trend across many different industries. It's like the first
0: thing I thought of was like Rent the Runway.
3: That's, like that. Rent the Runway was our biggest inspiration for sure. We were both um, using that service and just loved the idea of being able um, to invest a smaller portion into something that you may only use one time or for a short period of time. Be able to have that luxury product but not at the full investment. So that definitely intrigued us. And, you know, just seeing other companies like Uber, Airbnb, I mean, you name it, right? There's, you know, basically a rental company for just about anything these days. Um, So we we looked at that concept and just really tried to find an industry where it really hadn't been fully applied. And um, at that time, I was in the season of life where I felt like I was going to weddings just about every weekend. Um, And just taking note of the trends and saw, you know, the shift to DIY brides looking to save money by doing it themselves, which is great if you have that talent. Um, The other, you know, consideration is time, right? Do you have the time to do that? Um, So I, I saw there was an opportunity there. And then also noticing some brides just looking to save money on their flowers by the choice of their flowers. Maybe they weren't able to get the peonies that they really loved and they had to sacrifice for something, you know, different. And just really seeing an opportunity for us to introduce high quality silk flowers to brides to allow them to have the flowers of their dreams at a price that was more obtainable. So uh, we see, for many of our brides, um, you know, b- the price and the value is definitely what helps them make now, their help decision. Help me out on that.
0: I've never planned, been on the planning side of a wedding. How much does a bride spend on flowers?
3: So I mean, it, it varies quite drastically, especially across the country. Um, here, honestly, you can say a bride would spend around um, twenty-five hundred to maybe three thousand dollars. Our average wedding flower order is just around $500. So we're literally saving them thousands. Some brides choose to take those savings and, you know, keep it in the bank. Others decide, you know what? We're going to use that towards the honeymoon of our dreams. Open bar. Which, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, something that. really special. Right. Um, which is great. So, yeah, we, we do. We have brides that love the value. And like, to your point, we also have brides that just like the, you know, the sustainability of this product. Right. The fact that, you know, they're using it for maybe 30 minutes to an hour for their ceremony, but they're able to pass it on to someone else who's able to get use out of it as well.
0: Yeah, it's funny, both of you. Uh, although Kenneth's been in business for 20 years, you have that similar kind of business trajectory, which is incredibly exciting. It is uh, um, you know one of the one thing we have to point out here because it's radio, and there's no nose in radio is that these smell great. <laughs> they um, and uh, and they look. They look real. I mean, I didn't know what to expect, really. I mean, I I remember when artificial flowers were something my mom had, and they looked very plasticky. This is not that at all. Yeah,
3: so we actually, we hand-select every single stem, so we'll, you know, dedicate days to just sourcing and curating one collection. Um, So lots of thought and detail go into um, picking out each individual stem and, you know, greenery included in each collection. Our our boxes are actually scented, so when the um, blooms arrive to the bride um, and she opens up the box you know the, the flowers have that smell and just create those you know great memories and um, that you would have Aww. with real fresh flowers so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now Kenneth what about um, you're, you've got I was gonna say you have, you have a few huge clients I guess the way as I would put
2: it what's your day-to-day relationship with them? We operate the business on a two-week increment so we operate in two-week sprints so it's from a from a delivery perspective and that's what I'd say 85% of my team does, Um, we focus on what are we doing today, what are the issues that we're trying to accomplish within the next period, the delivery period, two weeks, how did we do on the last one, and what are the trends that are coming through our sort of vast collection of data. Um, We're constantly looking to improve, and being on a two-week cadence allows us to constantly tune and retool our delivery processes so that we're better. and. I think one of the one of the things that I've put at the sort of we, we talk about this at our quarterly kickoffs I talk about it with all of my directs the two things that I say that I want I seats to be known for are for being high quality and fast I don't want to be cheap I don't want to be a, a place where people can come to buy services from it at, at a good value I want to deliver what I say I'm going to on time and at a very high quality so what we're working to get to that that's our sort of point of arrival but um, the two-week cadence that we're on allows us to really focus on those two things. So when we engage with our clients, it's usually about what are we doing next sprint? What are we doing in a quarter? What's your uh, roadmap for look like? Um, so a lot of our interactions are tactical uh, in terms of tunes and improvements that we can make.
0: And uh, one of the things that makes you so different from <laughs> tech companies that we're here in now, a lot of them go in public, is you make money and you have no debt. How Correct. do you hang out with these people? You're just not.
2: <laughs> I, I don't hang out with them. I don't <laughs> hang out with them. <laughs> That's. Um, yeah, we're we're uh, we've, we've worked a long time to to be in the position that we are. Um, uh, I think financially, financially we're uh, somewhat an, of an anomaly um, in that we you know we're a profitable cash flow business. We have zero debt um, and um, you know all the headroom available possible in our line of credit. So. Uh, we like to buy our things in cash and, and uh, operate that way. It gives me a lot of flexibility when it comes to making decisions and making investment decisions. So, of course, I, my board uh, you know, leans in when when they feel like they want to ask questions, but uh, just generally speaking, we get to invest in what we want to. And Lakin, uh,
0: we were talking about we were prepared for this kind of growth, but you come from a terrific background. I mean, you were uh, the marketing person at Caesars, uh, you know, say what you will about casinos, those guys know more about their customers than any industry in the planet. Uh, did that help?
3: Absolutely. So I worked um, for Caesars Entertainment for about ten years before making the transition to this whole new world of entrepreneurship. <laughs> um, so yes, it, it's prepared me in many ways. I mean, Caesars is definitely very um, data-driven, especially like in their marketing, which. Um, I guess initially when we started this quest, I mean, I was inspired by just the, the ability to go back to the creative space, right? And to really, you know, just make things that are really beautiful and enjoy doing that. Um, and, you know, as we dove deeper into that, I started to have to really, you know, draw on my background of marketing analytics and such in order to, you know, really grow the business, deliver what brides are looking for, optimize inventory. I mean, you name it. I mean, that pretty much any anything that um, we do in our business today, I you know had some experience doing in my previous world.
0: And are we thinking about a giant warehouse somewhere and FedEx shipping them all over the planet? Is that the way it looks?
3: Absolutely. So our warehouse is actually um, in Lafayette, and um, we have um, probably over 5,000 unique inventory pieces right now. Um, we are in a big growth phase, so we pretty much built a suit. So as the demand comes in, we continue to build out our inventory. Um, we are shipping out on average, I would say um, close to 450 weddings per month right now. Um, September was actually a record for us. We were um, around 499 packages or orders for the month of September. So you're gonna get
0: some FedEx awards. <laughs> uh, we
3: love FedEx. our FedEx partners are great and you know they help us to deliver on time and to make sure we are timely and make every wedding, um, which is really important Important. You know so. who
0: doesn't love you? Florists. <laughs> Does, what?
3: Well, I think we... Um I think that there's an opportunity for us to work with florists. There's um, again certain brides that, you know, their, their budget doesn't allow them to have fresh flowers, and at some point, um, traditional florists would rather pass that business along rather than separ- sacrifice their brand. So I think there's ways for us to partner with um, fresh florists. There's you know space for everyone in this industry, <laughs> and obviously we, we like to be supportive of that.
0: You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Lake and Swan from Something Borrowed Blooms. They rent flowers for weddings and Kenneth Purcell from iSeats, the company that powers online travel booking for companies like American Express and Visa. We'll be right back after this very brief break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Rusciutti. I'm talking with Lake and Swan from Something Borrowed Blooms. They rent flowers for weddings. And Kenneth Purcell from iSeats, a company that powers online travel booking for companies like American Express and Visa. Yeah. Kenneth, you know, since we've been together, uh, last on the show together, um, we've talked about a lot has changed. Well, a lot has changed in New Orleans. We have a lot more technology companies uh, and all of that. What has that done in terms of uh, being able to find good employees for you
2: so we welcome new entrants into the market Um, of course from time to time that does drive up um, demand for high quality people but we're in an industry and a segment where demand for high quality engineers and related fields is is there anyway So we typically lose people to places like Facebook and Google and um, Uber and other places out west more than we lose them locally. Of course, we lose our share to we've lost our share to GE when they came to town. Uh, We lost a couple of people to DXC. We've lost people off and on over the years um, to sort of larger, I'd say, branches of these uh, you know mega players. but there's a very different atmosphere at iSeats than there is at a branch location of a multinational organization. Um, not that interacting with me on a day-to-day basis or seeing me in meetings or hearing my vision for things is necessarily compelling. Um, I like having you but, but, uh, Thanks, I appreciate that. Uh, um, and I'm surprised that my team likes hearing from me. Um, but. That's one of the things that it separates us from these other organizations is that you know truly you are a number um, at a company like DXC or someplace like that. Um, at iSeats, you're, you're you're one of a few people, right? Um, and uh, I think it's just a it's a different it's a different thing. Our certainly our environment is far superior to theirs as well. Um,
0: That's showing up in these you know best places to work kind of. That. What is is it like a
2: like a Kumbaya kind of tech company? Do you have- no, I wouldn't say that. I, I, what we do is we, you know, kind of we, started engaging um, our employees in surveys and asking them how we're doing. Um, so that may sound like a fairly obvious thing to do, but we instead of just listening to what they say about how we're doing, we actually uh, implement the things that they say they want from us. Um, it may seem funny, but uh, last year one of the th- comments that we got was. What are the iSeat's core values? What are your values? And, and it's funny because when you start a business, um, I know a lot of people talk about values and they put values and mission on the, on the wall. And um, Our business model changed so dramatically from the time that I kicked off the business to do online restaurant reservations 20 years ago to what it is today. Um, for me, with the sort of evolution of the way the business model has evolved, putting a mission statement on the wall Ten years ago would not be at all a fair representation of what the business is today, and frankly we still don't have a mission statement um, My mission statement is sort of a financial metric um, Or my vision is more of a financial metric because than you d- have
0: four boys yes, you know, that's, that's, that's right. That okay. I've got
2: four boys <laughs> this and some a shareholders. I, this is a, this is non-academic um, and so the when we got that feedback, we sort of I, I listened to it and I thought, wow, that's really uh, I can't believe that people don't understand what our values are. So recently, we just sort of unveiled our core values, and as I was unveiling these core values at our at an all hands meeting, I said, my legacy um, is not going to be put up a bunch of words on the wall, and then not honor what those words mean. I'm not going to have an Enron type scenario where whatever honesty or or, you know, I think honesty was one of their core values or something like that. Well, you you know, obviously how that went down. So actually we, we put our core values up on the walls and then Within a week of that, I said, hey, we're going to put these up and my legacy isn't going to be, you're going to look at me and go, oh, another, another corporate executive who puts a bunch of words on the wall and walks by him every day whistling past the graveyard. Actually, we, we actually sort of immediately implemented a bunch of changes from a, a personnel perspective because it's important for me as, as the business matures and as I understand my role more and more. Um, that we sort of, that, that I walk the walk, right? Um, and that's part of the reason that I flatten out of the organization. That's part of the reason that we're making the changes that we do is because um, we have to, it's important. And I think my employees value that.
0: And like in uh, when you get larger, and it certainly seems that's the direction you're going, do you think you'll have to, Oh, struggle with other issues like a second distribution facility and things like you kind of is that on your plate somewhere already
3: um it's something that we think about um <clears throat> not sure when that will be but i think sometime in the future um we'll definitely have to look at um multiple distribution points to be able to um recycle our inventory faster and also um just better meet the needs of brides we've we uh, recently um, started to get requests from brides in Alaska, and we've opened up our shipping there. Um, it's, it's a really long-time trans- ground, and the rates are high express. So um, when, we, when we, I guess, start to look at, um, you know, greater demand and just broadening our reach, yeah, I think absolutely another distribution center would make sense.
0: You've really got me thinking, how often can you reuse flowers?
3: So right now we're on about a, a two-week cycle. Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're turning over inventory every two weeks. And
0: does it go away then? The flowers? I mean, now how long will they last, I guess?
3: Our flowers? Yeah. Um, so we, everything that comes back to us goes through quality control. So every single time we're inspecting and we might change out like one stem or the greenery, ribbon gets exchanged every single time. So, um, it's hard to say, you know, the lifetime of of a full bouquet, um, because it's refreshed as needed every single time it's turned around.
0: People steal the stuff?
3: Not really. I, I always <laughs> I think, take the centerpiece. You
0: know, I guess that would be bad. Brides in this case. are There's...
3: often most worried about guests walking out with centerpieces, which I don't understand. I've never been to a wedding and decided to take a centerpiece. It's because you me. hang out with a better class but of people. I, I really. don't know. I mean, it's, it's a big concern. But I can <laughs> say that we've never had that happen in the past four years. So um, whatever brides are doing to um, inform their guests beforehand, are <laughs> <laughs> the the staff at the reception hall is working. But um, but no, that's that's actually not an issue. Every now and then, a groom's boutonniere will go uh, missing, but it's it's oh. not a big deal.
0: Right. <laughs> you got me thinking about all this now. <laughs> You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Lake and Swan from Something Borrowed Blooms. Uh, they rent out flowers for weddings. And Kenneth Purcell from iSeats, the company that powers online travel booking for companies like American Express and Visa. Kenneth, I got to ask you a question that everybody's listening. To this is thinking is. You know, when we think of tech companies right now, they all get to a certain point and get bought out. But you haven't been bought out. I assume people
2: have approached you. Yeah, that uh, look, those conversations have happened in the past, and I think the answer has not been, um, the time was not right. And uh, the the there's, we're still growing the business. We're uh, a profitable cash flow positive business and have been for a long time. Um, and we see, I think, the future for us is good, um, and we want to continue to do this. I mean, I think also probably my lack of employability is, dri- is a driving factor of that. So after you've run your own business uh, your whole career, um, <laughs> you know, where else are you going to work? So, uh, you know, I think that probably fends people off pretty quickly.
0: No, I know you have other had other jobs, because didn't you come up with this by being the... Um um, the reservation guy at a restaurant or yes, something? Yes, I
2: did. That, that's true. <laughs> I broke my wrist and had to, um, you know, take, no, I was taking the Access Database class. Actually, it was sort of a combination of a bunch of people's ideas all at once, and I just had the, I guess, uh, inspiration and naivete to actually go do something about it. Um, and, um, but, but that's, that's basically how it happened. There was a, a I was taking Access Database classes. Uh, I broke my wrist, I couldn't carry a, a tray anymore, which was a, a significant hit to my income, um, and I started writing with my left hand uh, in a log book <laughs> and I thought, boy, I could type this a lot faster, so that was sort of the how, this this concept, the how, and also the fact that the internet was kind of coming around in late 97, 98, so that sort of was an enabling factor also. There was a, a wear magazine here was doing something with the CD-ROM and the Hotel Concierge, and uh, my aunt was the publisher, and so we kind of put all this stuff together and, and formed this thing 20 years ago, or more than 20 years ago, honestly. Um, so it's been a it's been a good journey, but that has kind of nothing to do with what we do today. That's but, a, it, but it's but um, it's certainly
0: a pro injury answer, though. That's uh, yeah. uh, they don't like it. I've been thinking about different ways you can expand. I'm sure you're spending a lot more time on it. what other kind of events might you do.
3: Um, I think an opportunity for us is definitely meetings, conventions, um, you know, DMC business, uh, so you, just as weddings. I mean, often planners are ordering flowers for a big convention or you know a lunch meeting, and again, it's used for a short period of time. So similar concept, um, just more for the you know corporate sector versus brides.
0: And is that who your client is? A lot of times, the planner.
3: Um, it, it varies. Okay. Uh, we do some business directly with planners right now. We, we're majority directly to the consumer. Um,
0: and how do you, how do you market? Do you put yourself like in Brides Magazine or?
3: So um,
0: I'm really out of my league Should not come.
3: Here. No, it Does should that not that come to as a surprise. Um, we're Facebook. marketing to millennials, so I mean, social advertising is. Um, you know, where most of our efforts and dollars go. Um, And it's very effective. I mean, to sell our product, um, you know, the images are really what sell our products. So to be able to circulate, um, you know, beautiful images of brides with their flowers um, and, you know, their experience is
0: really effective. One of the many interesting things about living in New Orleans is that you can be waiting in line at the supermarket and the person in front of you might be an amazing musician or a Hollywood actress you can be a big star and live here and nobody will treat you any differently than anybody else. The other side of that is the very person who is treating the big star like a regular person might themselves be the guy who invented online reservations, or the woman who is disrupting the entire wedding industry. Kenneth and Lakin, you're both modest and humble, but you're both also incredibly talented, hardworking, and deservedly successful. We look forward to keeping up with your continued success and talking again soon. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch.
3: Thank you. Thanks
0: so much for having me back. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Lakin Swan, co-founder and chief marketing officer of Something Borrowed Blooms and Kenneth Purcell, the founder and CEO of iSeats. You can find out more about Lakins and Kenneth's companies by following the links on our website itsneworleans.com The producer of our show is Grant Morris Our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts. You can find all of our podcasts and links to our social media feeds on the podcast podcast network, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, including what these flowers look like, this is terrific, you can find photos from today's show on itsneworleans.com and on our social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at Photo. Com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Rusciutti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace. For more business.